Hey, what a time of worship. That was awesome. Thank you, worship team. Thank you so much. For anyone that's wondering, I'm sure no one is, but um, when I grow up, I'm going to play drums just like Webb. As, that is a gift. That is a gift. Thank you guys for sharing all of your gifts with us. Good morning and welcome to Revelation Rock. Welcome to our family room and happy Mother's Day. We want to honor all the moms who make up this Revelation Rock family this morning. <clears throat> all of us who are dads know that the mamas are the most important group of humans when it comes to holding things together. I walked in, I walked back up from the back during worship, and it's like there's just moms everywhere in here. In every different stage of life, we got all kinds of moms in this group, and I'm so thankful for each of you. Uh, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, that was the very first time in all of human history that God said something was not good. With all these good things, and he made this, and it was good, he made that, and it was good, and then he looked, and he saw Adam all by himself, and he says, this is not good. This is not good. Adam was all alone. God's solution to that not goodness was to create Eve, the very first wife and mother, created in the image of God from the rib of Adam, Unique to this creation of woman are the innate qualities needed to care for and raise up tiny humans. Mothers are the first reflection of the goodness of God into the lives of our children. There is qualities in a mom that God placed into a woman that are so foreign to men. Like we can't even relate. You, hand, you line all the men up on one side and all the women up on one side and you hand them all a newborn baby. The one that the men's responsible for may not make it. But they will quickly, if we lined up on each side of here, it would be about 30 seconds and the women would have all of the babies and they would know what to do. There's something in them. God placed it inside of them. It's intrinsic and uh, it's innate. It just is there. And it's it's something we're very, very thankful for. And if you've ever been a dad and had a baby that didn't want to sleep, there is nothing short of salvation that you're more thankful for than when you hear mom's home. So we just want to honor all the moms this morning. This isn't the message this morning, but I just, it's a secular holiday. It's not a church holiday to celebrate Mother's Day, but it is a big deal in the church to celebrate the moms that make this all possible. So thank you all. Some of you are moms of little kids. Some of you are moms of adult kids. Some of you are moms of kids that aren't biologically yours. I'm a uh, product of a whole bunch of different moms helping out mothering me. Apparently, when I was a kid growing up, there was something about me that moms just saw, he needs some mothering. So it wasn't just my, my biological earth mom has been amazing, but there's been a bunch of other moms that have also spoken to my life. So thank you very much. We want to honor each of you this morning. Last week, we began a discussion about what the church is for. We talked about what we're not. We're not here for entertainment. We're not here to impress each other with how good we were. We're not here to beat each other up for how bad we've been. We're not here to impress each other at all. We're not here to lure unbelievers into our midst in the hope that our born-againness would rub off on them. Rather, we're here to lift high the name of Jesus and to utilize our gifts to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. To understand this new covenant, 
with greater clarity and learn to administer the new covenant with more effectiveness in our world. As I have a thought and I've prayed, and we started this discussion last week, and even before we got here last week, what we're talking about today has been on my heart. And it's been on my heart different times reaching out, talking to all, any number of you guys and some of family that's not even here this morning. Um, about, there's a facet of this that has kind of been, it's been twisted and it's been painted into a negative light. You know, there's light matters. If you know anything about art, and I'm not an artist in the painting sense of it or the sculpting sense of it, but the light in which you view art is really important for how you see it. Is anybody aware of this? It's like, it matters what lights are on. I mean, even in your home, I've been around people. Anybody been around anybody who's like functionally, not colorblind, but where they've got like the wrong, uh, like 3,000K light instead of 5,000. It's like it looks wrong. Or they mix bulbs. Anybody ever been in a room where you've got, some of them are like the bright white, some of them are natural glow, some of, and it's like, you can't mix those bulbs. You gotta have, like pick one and you need to do that. So we understand it's important, the light in which we see things, and there's a, there's a function in the body of Christ today, and it's fairly new that this has gotten painted into a really negative light. Uh, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into it. Um, but this morning at church on Sunday morning, when we gather together, whether it's here or whether it's on Wednesday night or on Tuesday afternoon or coffee on Monday morning, whenever we're gathered with other believers, it's for a purpose. It's not just to check a box in our life. We did the church thing. We saw the other Christians. It's actually ambassador training. It's like, it's like, imagine that we all signed up to be ambassadors for the United States in some other country, and then we all got to come together. It's like, we got to know, what are we representing? What are we going to represent to that culture? We want to present the best of this country, not the worst of it, but we want to be consistent, right? Everybody aware of that? So this is ambassador training each Sunday. Not that I'm training you all the time. We're training each other. We're, we talked about this last week as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We want to effectively represent Jesus, to represent. We've been, we've had the Savior of the world presented to us, and we want to get better at presenting the Savior of the world to the world. This morning, we're going to look at one aspect of this. Like I said, has gotten a little bit of a, it's a negative, it's got a negative spin, um, and it's gotten painted into a negative light. But before we get to that, in the United States military, there's such a thing as Close air support. Now, some of you may not enjoy military metaphors, and this probably isn't the church for you. Um, there's coffee on the way out if you want. I just, I like these. They're, there's so much to our walk with Jesus that relates to military action. Paul correlated it to a race or to a fight, to a battle. Not a fist fight, not like just a backyard brawl, but I'm talking like organized warfare. The enemy is organized, and we are organized the enemy's got equipment, and we have equipment. It's so like even our earthly wars. So there's something, and I'm, we're going to look at a couple different little metaphors, nothing real long, nothing real crazy. But in the United States military today, there is such a thing as close air support. This is when a situation where ground troops are heavily engaged in the fight, and the Air Force deploys aircraft to do battle with them and on their behalf. Support for ground troops. We're not talking about big bombers or anything. These are relatively small planes with high horsepower and big guns. The troops on the ground work in coordination with the command 
to direct the pilots where the aircraft can contact the enemy with the most effectiveness and to aid in achieving victory. It's called close air support. It's a big deal. In law enforcement today, there's such a thing as calling for backup, or if it gets real serious, calling in a SWAT team in the situations that could get or have gotten out of control. Now, in these scenarios, these actions are seen as a sign of strength, not weakness. For ground troops to call on close air support, it's a tremendous show of strength. In fact, is documented, just the sound of incoming aircraft can shift a battle. If there's troops in contact with enemy forces and they hear the sound of close air support on coming over a mountain ridge, the battle changes because they know it's over. This close air support is a big deal. If you are an infantry soldier today, you want to know exactly how to get a hold of this close air support. Not because you're weak, okay? Not because of weakness on behalf of the ground troops, but rather as an extension or a show of strength. Likewise, there's an overwhelming strength and power in a law enforcement officer being able to simply key his mic and call for backup. And immediately, if the perpetrator, if the criminal sees that take place, he knows I've got a short period of time and there's going to be more good guys here. You understand how this is an extension of power, how this is a positive thing. Everybody, we're talking natural things now, obviously. This isn't deep theology yet. We're just talking on the surface. This is understood. And yet in the church, we have close spiritual air support at our disposal 24-7. But we rarely utilize this to our advantage. In fact, we've been largely duped into operating under the deception that using this in our day-to-day lives is a show of weakness or at the very last, very least, only a last resort. Before we get any further, just think about that. You're in contact with enemy troops. And you're being overwhelmed. You're being overrun. This is, it's go, the day is not going your way. Now, if the enemy could convince, you know, one radio call, and in about three minutes, there's a couple of airplanes with massive machine guns come over the horizon, and the battle changes in your favor. But imagine that the enemy has convinced you that if you make that call, you're weak. And so you fight, and you fight to the last, and you're down, and you're the only one left, and you're barely hanging on, and you still resist making that call. Does this make any sense? In the natural, this makes no sense whatsoever. And in the spiritual, it makes even less sense. What am I talking about in the spiritual? Talking about prayer. Standing with one another in prayer. Today in our culture, in our Christian culture, prayer is used uh, calling on a brother or sister in Christ to pray with you or pray for you has, gets used for two different things. Pretty much two different things. Number one, and probably most commonly, is just it's a, like a Christian form of gossip. 
It's like, I just want to, I got some information about something negative and I kind of want to tell you about it, but that's sort of gossip. So if I, but if I say it after I say, hey, be praying for this situation, now I'm free to tell you whatever I want. That's, I'm just passing along bad information about me or somebody else, some family, some friend. Usually it's someone that we both know and it's just, it's like real comfortable. It's like, I mean, I'm just telling them to pray for them. Did you hear so-and-so's getting a divorce? Oh, no, I can't say it. Did you? We should be praying for them. They're going to be getting a divorce. We should be praying. We should be praying for this person. This is going on. Sickness, disease. Anybody ever seen this work? We can get a whole bunch of people agreeing for death and sickness if you just, hey, you know, really be praying for so-and-so. They've got such a... Do we actually intend, so this is what I'm, this is one aspect of it. I'm not throwing rocks at the church. I'm saying, I want us to see, at the end of the day today, my goal is that we can see reaching out for prayer with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, like-minded believers, that we see it more closely akin to calling for close air support than it is just gossip, passing stuff along. The other way we see it, so number one is just, it's like Christian gossip. We can just say, well, be praying for so-and-so. I heard that he's been sleeping around. Well, be praying for so-and-so. I heard that they've got this really, you know, I know somebody else that had that same diagnosis. That didn't work well. So are we praying for him or are we condemning him to death? Do you see how this happens? And it just happens real comfortable, real natural. The other way we use it is commonly used as like a ditch effort. It's like we've done absolutely everything else we're out of click, click, click. Our, our rifle's not firing anymore. We've done everything else, I guess. I mean, we've given up already, and then we might as well tell people to pray for us because we've already given up. Anybody ever experienced that one? Maybe we've been part of it. I've been part of that, where it's like, I'm gonna hold up. I ain't calling nobody for prayer. I got this. And I fight, 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 and I fight. I fight. And then I give up, and I'm like... Guess I'll call Tom and see if he can pray for me. What? You already gave up. You quit. And then you're going to ask him to pray for you. And then he's going to see, well, that did, I, I, not, I prayed for him and nothing happened. Because I already quit. I'd given up. These are the two most common ways that we utilize this close air support backup type thing that we have access to in the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter 6. This is... We may not make it much past this, Olivia. Ephesians chapter 6, if you got your Bibles, you want to turn over to Ephesians. This is uh, a pretty common passage of Scripture, although this part that we're going to look at is not what's most commonly uh, talked about. This is, the armor of God is what we find in uh, Ephesians chapter 6 earlier. And uh, it's an awesome, that's Philippians. I'm in the wrong book here, church. I've been everywhere here. Johnny Cash song. Uh, so Ephesians chapter 6, <clears throat> we see in verse 5, Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of the heart as Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but, with bond ser- but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. We get some instruction. This book of, the book of Ephesians was written to the church at Ephesus, and there's some correction in it. There's some instruction. I love Paul's letters. Uh, Paul's letters are all written from the perspective of the new covenant, he always on the front end of every letter references the new covenant, on the back end of his letters he references, he comes back to the new covenant. And here at the end of Ephesians chapter six, we see, picking up in verse 10, we see the most common 
verses that most people know from Ephesians 6, or from the book of Ephesians. It's finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. We can preach on that. We go through all of the armor of God, and we get to verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Verse 19, and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that, I may, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. If you back up, we started, we touched at verse 10. We're gonna read 10 through 18 here. If you can bring that up, Olivia, I didn't give that to you, but let's start in verse 10. And we're gonna read 10 through 18, kind of the, the prelude to what we just read. Finally, after all of the rest of the stuff that Paul said in Ephesians, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, because of these things, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Having done all to stand, stand. Having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always. Do all of these things that Paul, that Paul just wrote out for us. They're all important. And with all of them, Praying always. With all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. For me, that utterance may be given. Paul understood the importance of prayer. He understood the importance of believers, like-minded believers, standing with him in prayer. This principle of praying always, like I said, it's a fairly new thing that this has gotten a bad reputation, not a bad reputation, that it's got this negative connotation. Because all through the early years, even of the United States being founded, corporate prayer, calling on large bodies of people to pray together was very common in the church. In Christianity, we understood the importance of it. Here lately, in the last 100 years, 150 years, we've really grown away from that. It's become a show. It's become, it's, it's lost the intensity. Colossians, Paul wrote in Colossians chapter four, verses two through five, he said, continue earnestly, in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards those who are on the outside, redeeming the time. 
Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Continue earnestly in prayer. These two instances that we see Paul instructing the church with regards to prayer, there's a real clear uh, common denominator, isn't there? Yes, pray, for sure. But pray why? We don't think about this a lot of times. We pray for Trey's uh, nerve in his leg. We want his nerve, the nerve in his leg to get better. We prayed for him a while ago with his, what's it called? Sciatic nerve or whatever. We prayed for that. So we want him to get better. How many of you know why we want Trey to get better? Anybody? Because like, we don't want him to have pain in his leg. Is that a good reason? That's a fine reason for him to get better, but that's not why we're going to pray for him. You say, well, okay, I'm confused now. Why would we pray for him? For the same reason that Paul requested prayer, for the gospel to go forth. The purpose of everything that we pray for is for the God. Paul didn't ask for protection, did he? He didn't say, oh, pray that nothing bad happens to me. Oh, he was, pretty, he was in prison. <laughs> he was kind of past all that. It's like, there's going to be some bad things, whatever. He said, pray for utterance. Pray for courage. Pray for boldness. Stand with me. Make, give me, pray that I will have the clarity to explain. In Colossians, we see uh, that God would open a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, that I can make it manifest as I ought to speak, make it clear, present it clearly with accuracy. The purpose of all of these things, the per- John explained, the reason for all the miracles that Jesus did, the reason we see miracles today isn't just so sick people aren't sick anymore. You know that? This is important. The purpose of everything that we are here on earth to do is to make manifest the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the reason for it. Why do we, it's great. Why why was Tom given the gift of leading worship? Is it just so we can listen to music on Sunday? No, it's to glorify the name of Jesus, to make manifest the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the purpose for all of this stuff. We're going to go on to another passage of scripture. Uh, Acts chapter 12. This is a longer one, but again, I remind you, you guys came here. This is church, and we read a lot sometimes. So, Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 19. I'm going to read it a little quickly. This is a story, so follow along the story. If you want to put yourself in anyone's shoes here, just put yourself in Peter's shoes and just kind of see what you feel. Now, about that time, Herod, the king, stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. Because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. This is going well. We've killed one of them. Let's seize another one. Uh, Now it was also during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. This seems, I just want to, we're just going to pause here for one second. I was going to read through it all, but I got to pause here. Does this seem ridiculous to anyone else? Peter was not a, like, mixed martial arts guy. He was not a Navy SEAL. He was a fisherman. Why do we need this many soldiers? This is the thing. I sometimes see these things when I'm reading. I'm like, that's very odd. But remember, Jesus had escaped from a sealed grave, and he was dead when they put him in there. This is not, like, they're aware. They... Herod knew something is very odd with these believers. We need more soldiers. Let's, you know what? 
Let's have four squads of soldiers to keep this one fisherman, lest he brandish a fishing pole and free himself. He's going to keep him for a little to bring him to the people after Passover. Verse 5, so Peter was therefore kept in prison. You're going to see why, they, why Herod keeps sending more and more soldiers to imprison these guys. Constant prayer was offered, wait, constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Here we go. Now we're praying for people, guys. Verse 6, when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping. So Peter wasn't stressed out about this. He was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Very secure. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, just like that, in a moment. And a light shone in the prison, struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. His chains fell off his hands, and the angel said to him, Gird yourself up and tie on your sandals. Put your shoes on. So he did. And he said to him, put on your garments and follow me. So he went out, followed him, and did not know what was done by the angel was, did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and the second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. I think he should have sent more soldiers. They went down one street and immediately the, they went out and down one street and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter had come to himself, he said, "Now I know for certain the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people." Verse 12. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. As Peter knocked on the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. They said to her, you are beside yourself. You're crazy. In other words, you've lost it. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, well, it must be his angel. Verse 16. Now Peter still, he's befuddled at this point. I knocked on the door. Someone's in there and the door didn't open. So he keeps knocking. When they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And then he departed and went to another place. Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards, commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and he stayed there. Now, this is an, another example. If we, you remember back in verse 5, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but a constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. The early church, they understood what prayer was. They understood the importance of it. They understood the magnitude of what it meant to gather together in prayer. They understood that this was not, they were they understood who they were talking to and on whose behalf they were ministering here. But understand that Peter wasn't freed just so he didn't stay in prison. He had work to do. He had the gospel to carry on. He had letters to write yet. There was much before him with regards to what? The gospel going forth. As we continue in this life, so 
when we, when we die or are raptured, whatever, when, we, when we leave this life, we're done ministering the gospel to people. But while we're here, that's our job. I think back to our metaphor that we started talking about here, uh, a military force calling for backup. I think about this body, and Trey and I were talking about this a little bit this morning, and I'm, I'm kind of excited about this. This might strike some of you as like, yeah, it seems a little odd. I understand that. That's okay. This is not my first time feeling like maybe somebody thinks I'm odd. But I think about this body. <clears throat> we're not a carnival. This isn't an entertainment thing. We talked about this the last couple of weeks. This isn't this isn't even just a box to check that maybe when somebody, well, whenever somebody from this body dies, we can say, well, yeah, you know, I, went, I know they went to church every Sunday. They must be born again. That's not what we're here for. We're not here just so that somebody can speculate on our eternal destiny after we're gone. But how much of the church functions that way? They go to church so that when they die, somebody can say, well, yeah, I know they went to church every Sunday. What, what good is that? No, we've got a commission we have a purpose to carry the gospel into the world, to help people that don't know Jesus come to know him. When I think about this, and this is what Trey and I were talking about this morning, think about that highly trained special force military team. If that's us, are we training? Are we ready? Are we ready to, are we ready to jump out of airplanes? Now, that seems ridiculous. We're not, I'm not actually, we're not going to do paratroop ministry, although that would be fun. That, I've never thought of that until just now. That's a good idea. We could do that. We could carry the gospel with us, and we could become paratroopers. I'm talking about there's an intensity. Do we walk with an intensity? Do we carry ourselves when we interact with each other with a level of urgency and a level of intensity like that special force group? There's a purpose to this. It's way bigger than just having somewhere to go on Easter, having somewhere to go on Sundays throughout the year, having somebody to come to our weddings and come to our funerals. This is a way big deal. This is the biggest deal that any humans have ever had to do. Like, we, it matters that when we go from this place, we're ready to share the gospel. James, the book of James in the Bible is, is oftentimes referred to as the Proverbs of the New Testament. There's a lot of instruction in it. There's a lot of guidance for New Covenant believers. In James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18, we're going to see another little glimpse of this prayer. We'll pick up in verse 13 of James chapter 5. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of, the, of faith will save the sick. The Lord will raise him up. If he's committed sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. He prayed again, and the heaven gave forth rain, and the earth produced its fruit. 
Prayer is a strong thing, not a weak thing. Seeking like-minded believers to stand with us in prayer is a show of strength, not a show of weakness. My encouragement, my encouragement as we go from this place today, we're not quite done, but is that we can start to see reaching out to like-minded believers. And I've said like-minded a few times because I do think it matters. And this is kind of ties back into what I was just talking about, this church family becoming and operating more and more like a team. Because to just go and spew whatever's wrong in our lives, like to spray it on anyone that we see like a garden hose, that's not what Paul's talking about. But to know your people, to know that when you call for someone to pray for you, it's not received as gossip, it's not received in judgment, and it's not just received to go on to the next person, but that they will actually pray for you, pray with you, and come. One of the things that keeps us from this, and I've heard this from a handful of people even in the last week and a half, well, you want me to come pray for you? I don't know. You're very busy. You're very, very busy. That is the most ridiculous reason to not pray for somebody. But we are, we're conscious of people's, it's like, wow, they've got, they've got too much going to stand with us in faith, doing what we were instructed to do for our fellow believers? There's nothing more important than that. This, this needs to become part of our culture where it's not viewed. Now, there's a, I'm scattered all over on this last little bit. I got a lot of things on my mind and not a lot of tremendous amount of time. There's a, there's a thing required here. I've, I've meditated on this for a couple of weeks now. Like, why isn't this more common? Why doesn't the church? Now, this particular body, I, we're growing in this. We're growing in big ways in this, and I'm thankful for that. Why is this hard, though? Why? It's, and it hit me. This is not rocket science. Some of you are going to say, wow, you had to think for a while for that one. Yep. Pride. There is a humility required to seek prayer and a humility required to pray with someone. You say, what do you mean? Well, as long as we're operating on a merit-based system, then we could all line up in a row and we could have the best person on one side and the worst person on the other. If righteousness was a sliding scale, then we're all at a different, it's a spectrum. Where are you at on the righteousness spectrum? But we know there is no spectrum. There is no sliding scale. You are either 100% righteous or you are zero righteous. This is... Jesus makes you righteous, you can't. So if it's you and you're, requi- you're weighing on, or waiting for yourself to achieve righteousness, it's zero. You've got no righteousness. And so, but if you think you've got righteousness, we think we're at a certain spot on the spectrum, then it's like, well, Tom's like a few steps ahead of me. And if I go to him with my problems, it's like he's gonna know that he's a few steps ahead of me. Well, that's pride, that's pride on my part. It's self, pride isn't just arrogance. We love to think of pride as just arrogance. And so like we all know like only probably three or four people that are prideful and it's the most arrogant people we know. But pride by definition is simply self-focus. 
It's when we are all we see, when we, our own lives are the lens that we look at everything through. How does this benefit me? How does this affect me? How will others see me? And it's all about me, myself, and I. That's pride. It's just self-focus. As long as pride is operating in our lives, we will never reach out authentically for prayer from fellow believers. And if pride's a function, it's going to be real, real hard for us to minister with grace to people that do reach out for prayer. So, uh, there's a, there's a key mistake that you never, ever, ever want to make with a combustion engine. Now, you can make a lot of mistakes with an engine, and it'll still survive. You can, it'll still run. It's like, hey, you know what? We can fix that. There's one thing, one thing you don't want to do for an engine. Kirk, what, what is the worst mistake that you can do with an engine? The one thing, it's the chief thing you don't want to do. Say it a little louder, nobody heard you. Run it out of oil. See, you can run an engine out of fuel and you just put more in it. And then, depending on the engine, it takes a while to prime it and whatnot. Uh, you can run an engine out of water and depending on how, it's like you can still, it's okay. Now, it's not great, but it's okay. But you run them out of oil and you got a few seconds and you are just done. And then you're not just buying a few new parts, you're just buying a new engine because you're over and done with. Running an engine out of oil, an engine has to have oil. It is the baseline. It's got to have oil because you've got all kinds of heat and friction and expansion and contraction and you've got to have oil in there or it will destroy itself in seconds. The oil that makes the body of Christ function is humility. We will self-destruct. We will render ourselves useless. We will no longer do what God has called us to do as soon as we start operating without humility. We run our church out of humility, we'll just tie up, we'll seize up, and we'll be junk real directly. Humility has to be present because when we understand that the ground is level at the foot of the cross, that there's none of us in here deserve to be right with God on our own. Nobody. But if you're born again, there's nobody that's less right with God than anybody else. We're completely right with God. If you believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been saved. Righteousness has been bestowed upon you. Not earned by you, bestowed upon you. It's a gift given. And I love the word bestowed. Some, you know, I don't know many foreign languages, but I do speak fluent King James. And bestowed is such a good picture because it's not just a gift given and you can just like, yeah, I just, you know, I don't really want the gift, I'll just throw it away. No, it was bestowed. It's a, t- a title can be, you ever heard of like a title being bestowed upon someone? It's like, that is now who you are. It's not just like, well, he didn't have a bunt cake and so I gave him a bunt cake. No, no, it's a title. You were unrighteous, now you are righteous. Tom's scripture from the introduction to worship this morning is that God, Jesus exchanged, he said, I will take your title of unrighteous and I'm gonna pay for that. I'm gonna give you the title righteous. You are now righteous. And because we all got righteousness the same way, we didn't any of us earn it. None of us was like, well, I don't need your righteousness, Jesus, I got my own. You don't have any. We don't have any. We were conceived in iniquity is what the Bible says. 
We don't have any righteousness. You can try, 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 and you ain't going to get any righteousness on your own. But Jesus comes along. He bestows it on all of us. We all got our righteousness from Jesus. Didn't none of us earn it? Don't any of us deserve it? So when we understand that, it becomes a lot easier for me to say, my flesh is, my flesh is struggling a little bit. Ben, can you stand with me in prayer? And he's not going to, he can't look at me and say, I've never struggled with that. I earned my righteousness. Because he got his righteousness the same place I did. He's like, I got my righteousness from Jesus. Let me stand with you on that. Flesh is a tough thing sometimes. We can stand together in that. Does this make sense to anybody? And it becomes, it becomes a source of strength when we reach out to our brothers and sisters in Christ, our teammates, the, this body of believers, when we reach out and we're like, I need some help. It's imperative that we don't bring judgment. It's imperative that when we reach out, we don't feel like, oh boy, what's Tom gonna say when I call him and tell him I, I think I got a cold again? I better not call him. No, I'm just gonna sit here on the hillside getting pinned down by enemy fire, feeling like a failure because I can't seem to shake this sickness instead of just picking up the radio and saying, hey Tom, call a few guys. I need some prayer. Can you come stand with me? Let the mic up and listen for the airplanes. This isn't, hard this is simple but the enemy has bamboozled us into thinking that's like oh boy i'm not gonna call anybody for prayer (sighs) that's weakness i'm strong you're strong in christ which is where all of us are as believers this is strength calling for backup calling for air support calling our believers for prayer that's a sign of strength that's a show of force and it's the one thing that the enemy doesn't want us to do. He wants us to operate in fear. And as a believer, if we've put to death the fear of death, Satan will settle for the fear of man. He'll settle, he'll settle for, if he can keep us backpedaling because we're afraid of what someone might think, that's fear of man. You don't have to be afraid of a person to have fear of man. Fear of man is just, ah, I'm not going to do that because what if someone sees that? What if they think this about me because of that? It's fear of man. The enemy will settle for that. So often, we seek prayer only as a last resort. Or as I just shared, when we get to the point where, we, well, I don't care what anybody thinks. I guess I'll just, I mean, I've already given up, but I might as well call a few believers to pray with me. Selling them short the cross short, and my righteousness all short. Prayer is our close air support. The enemy, as I just shared, has deceived Christianity. Much of Christianity has been deceived into thinking that asking for prayer is a posture of weakness. It's a lie that says strong people do battle alone. That's a lie from the enemy. In fact, the worst thing for an enemy soldier to see is a United States soldier communicating coordinates for a close airstrike. That's the worst thing. If you're the enemy and you see he's got the radio, he's calling for for air support, run. This is a picture for us as believers reaching out to each other for prayer. Anybody ever been in this spot? Now, I, I'm telling you this in humility. 
I've been in this spot where I've, I have had my phone in my hand. Ready to reach out for prayer. I'm ready to, I'm ready to call a couple guys, see if they can pray for me. Ah, what are they going to think? I know the verses. I'm just going to say the verses again instead. Ah, I'm not going to, ah, what are they going to think of? Like, who struggles with this? I've been there. I've talked myself out of reaching out for prayer. It's not a good feeling. It's not like, you don't have this like overwhelming feeling of peace. But I will tell you, I got a handful of guys in my corner that also are uh, filled with the Holy Ghost and hear the Holy Spirit. And once in a while, um, they don't wait for the call. They just do a flyover to see if everything, is everything okay? I've got a couple of, I, I had a friend of mine stopped in uh, last fall. I was real sick. Um, I mean, real sick. It was, Jody and I were talking last week about how when a husband gets sick, it's far worse than when a wife gets sick. It was, it was I mean, I had a sore throat and I didn't feel good and so I couldn't do anything. I had to just sit on the chair and Melinda had to do everything for me. That was a joke. And uh, I was legitimately not feeling very good. I had a fever and I was feeling like garbage. And I had, it was one of those times I had prepared to reach out. There was a couple guys, I was like, I'm gonna just see if they'd come over and pray with me. Lay hands on me and pray for me. No, I'm not gonna do that. I'm, cause I, and I, this is what I had in my head. This is, I had myself twisted up in a pretzel. So I'm sitting in my chair feeling sorry for myself. And I look out the window and there's a pickup just pulled up on the, behind my house. I'm like, ah, it's a good friend of mine. One of the people I was going to text, literally was going to text, comes up, knocks on the door. He's like, hey, I just want to know if I could pray for you. And I just stood there. I'm like, by all means, by all means. I'm not proud of that story, but I'm thankful for a fellow believer who came. This is the last thing I want to get at. Listen to the Holy Spirit. When you hear the Holy Spirit nudge you to call somebody, to go pray for them, listen. Just like the believers in Mary's house, they were praying for Peter. They decided, we're just gonna get together and pray for him. He didn't have the ability to text him and say, hey, pray for me. I think they're gonna chop my head off tomorrow. He didn't have that. He just sat there and he was at peace. They heard the Spirit say, gather and pray. So they gathered and prayed. I want to encourage us this morning that if you get a nudge from the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit says, why don't you call your brother or sister in Christ? Why don't you text them? Why don't you stand with them? Listen. Listen to that. Like I said, humility is a necessity for the body of Christ to function. If you, get, if you receive a call from somebody, receive it with humility. Deliver that call with humility. We cannot esteem ourselves too greatly. When the cross is in a proper perspective, humility is a natural byproduct. This new covenant is all about Jesus. The hierarchy produced by our own efforts is destroyed at the foot of the cross. This humility enables us to ask for prayer, to pray with each other and for each other without judgment 
for self-righteousness. Worship team, you guys got a song you want to close with or are you guys done for? Either way. If you got a song, why don't you come up and sing a song for us? I just want as to, we're, as we're wrapping up, I think about so many of Paul's instructions for prayer contain the word thanksgiving. And as I just shared, uh, when the cross is in proper perspective, humility is a natural byproduct. When we understand the magnitude of the cross, thanksgiving is all over us. We have the opportunity to be made right with God. And if you believe in Jesus, you are right with God. When you understand the magnitude of that gospel, you can't be anything but thankful. No matter how bad this earth gets, no matter what problems we encounter in this earth, no matter what defeats and losses we feel in this earth, we can't help but feel thankful because we're still right with creator God. You guys under, like, I just want to encourage you guys. Humble yourselves and pray for each other. Don't be afraid of asking for prayer. Don't be afraid of delivering prayer. This is a posture of strength. It's not something that, it's not weakness. And we're growing in this. I see it happen every week. It's my prayer that as we grow as a body, we grow strong together. We grow comfortable with each other. That we reach out and we choose humility. If you would stand with me this morning, I'd like to dismiss us with a declaration, then we're going to sing a song. Here at The Rock this morning, we declare with thanksgiving that we are in Christ. As such, we know that we have been made the very righteousness of God. With humility, we choose to stand with one another in prayer, to hold each other up, to support one another, just as the parts of our physical body support each other. And even though this earth isn't fixed yet, we press on towards the prize of the high calling, knowing that the spirit on the inside is greater than the pressure of the outside fallen world. Fallen world. Jesus, we thank you so much that you are here. You've promised to never leave us nor forsake us. So when we go from this place, we go with boldness, knowing that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I pray a blessing over this body, those that were not able to be here. pray health and healing, provision and protection. We declare the blessing of Abraham over this body this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.